Hello, everyone. Welcome to this continuation of On the Path to the Future with ACB Convention. This is uh, BPI's Financial Freedom Workshop with Emilio Valdez. Uh, first of all, I'm going to hand it over to Maria Christich, our very kind Zoom facilitator for the CU codes for the session. All right. Thank you, Gabe. There will be a starting code, which I will give out now, and then another ending code. To clarify, this is for those who have registered for continuing education when you completed your convention registration. So if you selected continuing education and paid for it, kindly pay attention to this code, which I will give twice, and then I will not be able to give it again. This is a five-character code, mix of letters and numbers, and it is not case-sensitive. The start code is the number zero the number zero, the letter B as in Bravo, the number zero, the letter D as in Delta. Again, that is the numbers zero, zero, the letter B as in Bravo, the number zero, the letter D as in Delta. Back to you, Gabe. Thank you, Maria. So once again, this is a BPI's workshop on financial freedom. My name is Gabriel lopez Capati, president of BPI. And uh, we are very proud and very, very happy to be able to bring this workshop to the ACB community, the ACB family, and everyone listening on ACB radio. Uh, our friend Emilio Valdez is an authority in the matter. He brings to us 27 plus years of experience as a financial advisor. Um, he worked and managed a portfolio of over 300 clients in um, the New York market uh, for, like I said, almost 30 years. He was he has been featured in multiple articles in the business sections of the New York Times. Emilio came to our community after um, a lot of stress. Uh, we know how the financial work can be very, very, uh, can take a toll on your health, especially during difficult times like 2007, 2008. Emilio uh, suffered a massive brain tumor uh, four years ago, it was successfully removed. Um, and uh, Emilio is with us, good, healthy, and kicking. Uh, the tumor did leave him with some um, visual impairment, which brought him to our community. And uh, things happen, always happen for a reason. Now we are honored, happy, blessed to have Emilio as part of the ACB family, not only locally here in Miami, but uh, also as a guest of BPI to facilitate this workshop and bring us all bring share with us all his expertise. So I am going to be quiet now and without further ado, we're all been waiting for you, Emilio. Welcome wow. to ACB. Wow, Gabriel, thank you so much for talking so eloquently about me. Everything um, he said is accurate, uh, folks. My name is Emilio Valdez. And as Gabriel correctly said, approximately four years ago, yesterday is my anniversary of, of my brain tumor, which affected my optic nerve, and I am legally blind. So, however, I am thankful to my Lord, God, for letting me live a and have a chance of a second half. And I want to take, amen, thank you. And, and I honestly, from my heart and from my soul, I've never felt God's love as much as I do right now. And my goal, ladies and gentlemen, is to help my new wonderful community, the ACB Nation, the ACB community, my fellow members. And all I want to do is help you. I want to help you in many different ways. And I'll get to my, my agenda here momentarily. But my main goal is to get you organized financially. So today's a general, I have about an hour or so to speak. 
Um, I do have an email, which I'm going to give to you right now. And my, my, my co-host here will give it to you a couple of times throughout the broadcast. But if you email me at Emilio, that's E Edward M Mary I ice cream, L Larry I ice cream, O Oscar V Victor at gmail.com. I also starting tomorrow morning, I have, um, dedicated a line for any um, persons on this broadcast or any ACB members to call me um, as as you wish to help you. And again, my, my partner will be repeating this momentarily, but the number is starting tomorrow morning, folks, it gets turned on tomorrow morning, is 918-919-7907. That's 918-919-7907. Anyway, let's continue, please. Um, so my experience comes, as Gabriel said, from two major firms in New York City. Uh, I moved down here to Miami in 2016 because of my ailment, my brain tumor. I was dysfunctional. I'm alive again, and I'm loving this city, and I'm loving uh, being a member of ACB, which I joined earlier this year. So I'm going to come up a new member. And I'm very honored and humble to have this opportunity to speak to you all. Okay, so let's go into it. My first topic that I want to talk about is budgeting. Without money to invest, you can invest. So we need to have a positive cash flow in our lives to be able to save money in the banks and in other places before we get to Wall Street or the stock market, excuse me. So budgeting, what I tell my my clients, I first start talking about budgeting in creating four different categories. Those four categories are as follows. A monthly fixed cost a monthly variable costs, an annual fixed costs, and an annual variable costs. And what the best way to do this is if you have any kind of budgeting software that you can download from the web, if, you, if you're dealing with a main money center bank, they can do this for you as well. Or you can just ask your the, the banker if they can set something up to see how money is coming in and out of your account. I know the bills, especially during this whole crisis we've been having, uh, Cash flow can be really difficult to manage, but it has to be managed. You either manage it or it's going to manage you. And it's much more productive for your future and for your family's future for you all to to manage it. So the first thing you want to do is, what do I pay every month as fix? Um, Rent or mortgage, groceries, utilities, cell phones, think your ACB membership dues maybe, who knows? But that goes under monthly fixed costs. Usually, probably one of the bigger uh, categories. And then the monthly variable costs can be things like if you pay your utility uh, once, let's say once every six months. So you could take the, let's say it's $600 every six months. So you would take $600 every six, $100, and put that into the monthly variable. So now it's not only, so that way you can allocate the cost of your monthly income to things that don't happen every month. And then the annual um, events are usually a vacation buying furniture, buying clothing, buying luggage, buying your significant other a nice present, things like that. Um, And after you create that, then you know, hopefully, what you're spending. Now, my rule of thumb that I learned from the College of Financial Planning out of Boulder, Colorado, you you add up the four categories, and then you add 10%, because usually there's a 10% variance um, or variable in terms of what we spend. Once you accomplish that, then you got to start seeing how you can cut down on some of the expenditures, which is the hardest part. Uh, I am not a big fan of credit cards. Um, credit cards are very tempting. And I would say have one. You definitely have to have one. 
But debit cards work much better in my world because you're only taking money out that you have. You're not going on credit. And yes, interest rates are very low, so credit rates are lower, but they can easily jump up to 18 20%, and you're just helping the credit card companies get rich, and you're, you don't. With that said, I will go to two principal financial ledgers that you should have. One is called the cash flow statement, and one is called your balance sheet. The cash flow statement, pretty simple. If you did your budget, as I just spoke to you, again, if you contact me, I will go with this with you on one-on-one, you find out what you're spending. And again, that's the negative, right? On the negative side, the outflow. On the positive side is all the sources of income you hopefully have, which could be your, your, your job, it could be social security disability, social security retirement. Uh, it could be rent, rental, if you're rental units, anything that creates income, including if you have an investment portfolio, bonds or high yielding dividend paying stocks, that, that's also income. That's your positive category. So at the end of the balance sheet, you hopefully are positive, net positive of cash flow. You could be, the worst thing to be is net negative. Now, net negative does occur when you retire. When you retire, you're not working, so you're living on your assets, Social Security, your pensions, whatnot. That's fine to be at what we call a disinvestor when you retire. But I am 52 years uh, old. I'm probably retiring about 18 years from now. I still have to be adding to my retirement plan so I can live a lifestyle I desire, which is one of my, my mantras in my practice. I want to help everyone live a, a retirement lifestyle they desire at whatever retirement age there is. And again, the quicker you get there is the quicker you save and, and invest. So that's cash flow on an overview. Next um, ledger is the balance sheet. Assets minus liabilities. So assets, think about it. If you own your own home, if you own jewelry, if you own a portfolio, bank assets, uh, fine art, jewelry, Clothing can be considered as if it's high end. So anything that has work that can be turned easily to cash or has a cash equivalent value is assets. Then we go over to the to the nasty little category called liabilities. Ouch. I will make you I will tell you one thing, ACB community. We as Americans, as being one of the most industrialized countries in the world, have the worst or one of the worst savings rates in the world. I will tell you that the Japanese. Their model is you save first and then you spend. Well, here in America, at least in my household, we spend and whatever's left over, we save. And again, you have to have four savings. You have to have something that you put aside each and every month to budget. So, for example, this is a, a, a true example. My daughter, Brianna, God bless her soul, she just graduated pre-med from Rutgers University in, in New Jersey. I wanted to give her a graduation present. Which was she just graduated a couple of weeks ago. So for the last 20 months, folks, for the last 20 months, I put aside uh, a fixed amount of money. And, and yesterday I mailed it overnight check to her and she got it this morning and she was in tears crying about how nice that was and how much it was. She made me cry. And that's priceless, folks. Giving a, your child or someone something that it took me 20 years, 20 months, excuse me, to accumulate is a proper budget goal and accomplishment. So that's a good example how you want to budget or set your cash flow or your balance sheet in terms of hopefully saving money for a home, for a retirement plan, or whatever else you want. Um, liabilities are controlled. When I, when I take on my clients, I ask them to bring a list of their liabilities. 
a list of all their debts, credit cards, mortgage, whatever it is, and the current interest rates, the minimum payment. And there we start working on, we're working on how much we can budget ourselves for in terms of the goals. To reduce liabilities, you have to you have to start reducing them by, of course, taking your positive cash flow, hopefully, and reducing them. It's not rocket science, folks, but it takes discipline and it takes a plan. And the best, the one of my other mod, mod, models are no one fails to plan. No one plans to assume, No one plans to fail, but sometimes we fail to plan. I'll repeat it. No one plans to fail, but oftentimes we fail to plan. Now, me having over 27 years of experience, I'm anal retentive for sure. I may be a little overboard, but I prefer to be overboard than underboard or have no plan. If you don't have a plan, you're not doing well. A budget, going back to budgeting, it has to exist on a computer screen or on something. And it has to be t- something that you can add to it and monitor. And there's a lot of good apps, a lot of good um, things on the internet that you can do that. And again, if you contact me, I'll give you some of those names. Okay, we're moving on now. Um, <clears throat> oh, sorry. Hey, um, I mean, it sounds very interesting. This is Osea that I'm here with, with Emilio. It sounds very interesting to me what you're explaining to us. Do you think you could, and I really like the story that you were telling us about um, your daughter and how you were saving aside just uh, um, $50 and how in 20 months that, be- that became into $1,000. But do you have a couple, uh, some other tips as how I can stay within budget? Um, so, yeah, they're amazing apps and all that, and they tell you how much you're spending on each different areas. But do you think you have any other t- uh, tips as how to stay in budget? Because sometimes that's some uh, that's a, a, a big issue for for big spenders as we are here in the U.S. Great question, uh, Osias. Uh, there are many, I guess we'll call, we'll call them tricks of the trade. One one iconic um, method is called the envelope method method, where you take. Um, I don't know, 15, 20 envelopes. And, uh, and for people, I guess, who are blind or people that can, are legally blind, like myself, I don't know if this is you know Braille or whatever you can use to identify the envelopes. So one envelope will be your mortgage or rent payment. And then when you get paid, either monthly or bi-monthly, you cash your check, you leave hopefully at least 10 to 15% minimally in the bank. If you can leave 50, that's ideal. And then you start putting the envelopes, you start putting bills in the envelopes to have it saved for that for that for that purpose. So you can have a mortgage, a rent envelope, you can have a cell phone bill envelope, a gas, water, um, summer home payment, whatever it is, you use those envelopes. You can use the envelopes every month, and those will be your monthly fixed costs. And you have envelopes for a specific goal. Like for myself, it'd be my daughter's graduation of, of college. Um, it could also be uh, buying something like something nice, uh, buying a home, same for a mortgage, and you keep stuffing those envelopes. You keep stuffing the envelopes. You could obviously do this electronically, um, uh, but the, just if you have a lack of discipline, it's hard to break behavior, folks. So having the envelope system forces you to stay on track. And again, one envelope, either proverbially or, or physically, has to be savings. Savings, savings, savings. I don't really care if you make a million dollars is how much you save in the million dollars. If you make a million and spend 1.1 million, you're not making, you're, you're losing hundred grand every year. And I've had people like that before. Um, and it's, it's, it's just, it just amazes me. So if you make 50,000, 
you got to be putting away at least five thousand, at least five thousand a year if it's if you're able. If you're not able, then we have to work towards getting there. Again, everything has steps by steps, and that's one of that's one of the key steps. But let me let me I'm gonna, I'm going to move on because my you know I, I watched over my time. The next topic I have is uh, really quickly a quick overview on mortgages. Ladies and gentlemen, we are we're in the most lowest interest rates we've had since the Great Depressions of 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 the twenties. I called uh, I, I I bank with Chase and I like Bank, and I'll talk about those in a minute. So Chase, right now, um, I have a pretty high high FICO score. Can get me a mortgage for two point four percent. Never have I heard of a mortgage that low. So if you have mortgage debt or you want are you looking to buy a home for the first time now is a time to get a mortgage uh, and and lock it up. Now, here is another trick of the trade. I'm a big fan of the 15-year mortgage. However, 15-year mortgages means you have 15 times 12 times to pay the mortgage, so your payment is higher than a 30-year. So here's something that very few people know. You can ask a bank or a mortgage lender for what are the the 30-year rates and how much you're going to borrow. And let's say it's $1,000 a month for a 30-year mortgage. Then you would ask the banker to give you what's called an amortization, amortization table. I'm not saying that correctly. I'm sorry, folks. Amortization table. Wow. And in that table, it lists all 360 payments for a 30-year mortgage. So it has 1,000 times 360. But what's, what's unique is in the beginning of the mortgage, the life of the mortgage, that payment is going to be about 990, like 900 and let's say $990 for interest and only $10 for capital. And I'm making these numbers up. In other words, it starts much more with principal, sorry, much more with interest than principal. So what you can easily do, beginning, as long as you can afford it, is pay off your, say, month one mortgage and also pay at least the, the equity side of the month, month two. So let's say month two was $25, but you're paying 1000 By paying an extra $25 on the first month, you just eliminated the interest costs of month number two, which in my example is $975. So you can turn a 30-year mortgage into a 15-year by simply paying the month and the next month's in, um, capital payment, and you eliminated the interest, and you'll save a lot of interest costs. You, you'll be earning more earning more home than the bank was. So again, that's very brief. It's a really good time to have mortgages, and that's a hinge, of course, on your um, FICO score. I can also tell you because many of us are considered disabled Americans, the ADA Act does help us with um, Section 8 housing if you qualify for, and it could help you a little bit with um, initial first home buying. There's a lot of first home buying programs that they'll gift you or lend you money at a at a very reduced rate. A lot of options if you know how to look. And again, I I, I know my option because I that's what I do for a living. I consider myself a human browser. So, you know, we use Google, we use Bing. Well, Emilio Valdez, I'm the human browser uh, that I use for myself and my clients in terms of any aspects in the financial and investing markets, including budgeting and, and how you spend money. So that's that. Uh, now we'll move into what I told you was my bank accounts are Chase and Ally. My Chase account pays me 0%. Aren't they nice? I have money in there, but they pay me 0 That's what most banks are doing. I've heard 0.3% is the highest I've heard on the on most money-centered banks, most banks with branches, but there exists a whole host of internet banks. I just like to use Ally, A-L-L-Y. So I have an Ally app on my phone, 
and they were, they were paying me before COVID nineteen hit one point nine percent in January. When the market, when the when the Fed had to make easy, had to ease the market and lower yields, I'm now at 0.75. So I'm getting 75 basis points or 0.75 on my idle cash. And if I needed to write a check or, or do whatever, I could instantaneously on my phone transfer the money from Ally earning 0.75 to my Chase account earning zero. But at least I, I, I collect some interest. And again, this might sound too eloquent to some people, but it's a, you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan to earn more money for yourself. Okay, next topic I have here is um, basic investing. So let's go up the ladder. First of all, what I picture a pyramid or a, a, a standing triangle. On the base of the pyramid, which is the, the largest part, is your most conservative assets, your most conservative investments. And they are your savings, your checking, your insured money market funds, short-term CDs, short-term bonds. Basically, bank deposits or demand deposits, and also short-term bonds and CDs. And basically what a short-term bond is, a bond considered a bond an IOU. Um, Apple needed to raise money. So Mr. Tim Cook, their CEO, went to the market and he said he raised a million dollars and I bought a six-month Apple Apple bond. And let's say for, let's say that that was a 2% yield because it's a short-term one. So I, I basically lent my money to Apple and they give me a bond or an IOU. And then IOU says, I'll get my money back in six months and 2%. And you can do this for corporations. You can do this for municipalities. So, in, uh, well, the state of Florida is unique that we don't pay state income tax. But my former state, I paid New York, New York City, New York State, and federal. If I bought a New York bond, an in-state bond of my residency, and my state had an income tax, municipal bonds do not pay taxes. They are tax-free, folks. No state, no federal, no local taxes. So if it says 5%, you're getting 5%. Unfortunately, government bonds and corporate bonds are taxable. So if you get a 5% corporate, you're going to be paying taxes as per your income bracket. So if your income bracket is 28%, it's 5 minus 28%, that's your net yield. If it's a municipal bond, you keep the whole thing. And it's also a way to also help the local community. I always like buying bonds in the cities and states that I live in. So municipal bonds are debt issuance from municipality or state. They're what's called the state GOs or general obligation bonds, and they're backed by the tax revenue of that state. And there are municipalities. There's also um, revenue bonds like the turnpikes. So every time you go through here, we use a sump pass and whatever state you're using, those tolls uh, will back up the payments of interest for the revenue bonds. I love bonds, especially in these times of um, volatility because those bonds do they yes they move but you're guaranteed by the issuer at the end of maturity to get back your money now that guarantee is there unless the issuer goes bankrupt and, and unable to pay but there's where the rating agencies uh the two big ones are moody's and smp sanderson poor's and moody's will rate the bonds and you'll see the ratings the, the highest rating is a triple a and very quickly ratings go triple a double a single a Triple B, double B, single B, C, and then D. You don't want D. D is default. So if you see your bond ratings going down, you have to make a decision of to perhaps sell before and go somewhere else because your bonds should be conservative. Now, there are things called high yield or junk bonds, and that's a whole different ballgame. Those bonds trade sometimes closer to stocks in terms of the volatility, but you get a much higher coupon or much higher interest rates. 
before this whole thing happened, they were about 8% some junk bonds going long-term because of their ratings. The, the lower the rating, the more riskier it is, the more they have to pay you. So the after you leave, after going, we're going to go from no risk to up the scale. The next spot after banks are bonds. And again, corporate, municipal, and federal. You also buy bond mutual funds or bond funds. The 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 attraction of bond funds is when you buy one unit of a bond fund, you're buying one unit of a massive pool of money as multiple hundreds of bonds in there, professionally managed to get diversification. And you also have liquidity. You can sell these things any day the market is open and you get your money back in three days. The negative, the really big negative of bond funds, ladies and gentlemen, is that they don't have a maturity. So if I have a 10-year bond and interest rates go against me, I just hold on to my bond and get my money back. But if I have a bond fund, interest rates go against me, my money is going down. And if I sell in 10 years, I'm not guaranteed the same amount of money that I have. So that's that. Let me then move on very quickly. And I'm sorry this is going kind of fast for some of you all, but have my time. So, so Emilio, yes. it's, it's just again, it was a very interesting explanation about the, the bonds and, and, and all of that. And sometimes when we don't have the knowledge, so we like to take higher risks and perhaps those are the volatile um, bonds because they can go high very quickly, but they can drop very quickly as well. So for sure, we have to hire, uh, or we have to look for for, your, for an expert on this on this matter. So what if what if what if I um, what if I do not have um, a, a bond or if I haven't bought any bonds? Do you think that this is our best choice when it comes to investment? Okay, great question. Again, so a couple of things you said in there. One one is very very true, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, what Sarah said. Some volatile bonds, which are normally your junk bonds, they can go up a lot and they go down a lot. Anything, any investment can go, can go up a lot, usually can go down just as much or further. So that's called volatility or elasticity. The less inelastic an investment is, the, the more it trades within a certain range. More, the price is, is more controlled. Um, whether it's a good time or not, the one thing God never gave me is He gave me a second chance in life. Um, a crystal ball. I don't have. I don't know the future. I know that I don't know for sure. We're in a very low interest rate environment, so I would be very careful of buying long-term duration bond funds. Anything long-term right now could have a, a really um, negative um, consequence if and when the economy turns around and the Federal Reserve, under Chairman Powell right now, uh, starts raising rates. If if the Fed starts raising rates, your bond prices are going to go down. So that's what I'm saying about bond funds with no maturity date. And individual bonds, more my favorite because they have a maturity date. So if you're looking for more stability or predictability, which is a fantastic two combo in the investment world, is to buy a bond, not a bond fund, which you know at a certain date you're going to get your money back. And also buy quality. Okay, But again, you need someone to know the bond market to do that. And again, I did manage um, at the end of my Wall Street career, before my tumor, I was managing $1.1 billion, billion with a B. Uh, at Merrill Lynch, and you know, I learned a lot about bonds because most people with with wealth don't want to risk it, and they buy bonds. Now, let's go up one more one more thing on the on the investment pyramid. We're going to go a little bit more uh, aggressive, and the next step I would consider it as equity or stock mutual funds. Stock funds 
or mutual funds are is when you buy a unit like the bond funds, you get multiple, you get a lot of bonds in your portfolio. When you buy an equity fund, you get a lot of stocks. Now, question: What's the difference between a bond and a stock? A bond, as I said before, is an IOU. It's like I. So, for example, Osiris and I want to start a ice cream cone business on Miami Beach, beautiful Miami Beach. We want to sell ice cream cones uh, on the beach side. And Osiris comes to me with that proposition. And he goes, Emilio, I have a great idea, but I need $10,000 for the truck or whatever else. And I go, okay, or say us, I'm going to lend you $10,000. You're going to sign a promise to pay. And I want 5% for 10 years. So I want 5% every year on $10,000. That's 500. And at the end of the 10 years, I want my $10,000 back. I don't care if you do well, not well. It doesn't work. I want my money back. That's a bond. A stock is ownership. You own the 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 company the entity so same example uh, also comes to me tells me this great idea about selling ice cream cone no one else is selling ice cream cones here in miami beach and he goes he needs ten thousand dollars and i go oseas instead of me lending you the ten thousand i'm gonna pick up your partner i'm gonna put in ten grand but i want half control of, of our business so the business does well i get half the profits he gets half the profits business goes poorly i lose my money because that's what happens with stocks you can lose your money because you're an owner. There's no guarantees in the stock market. Um, recently, we, we hit new highs on the Dow Jones, S&P, and NASDAQ. Our highs came across around the first or second week of February. Uh, the Dow hit over 29,000. And then came, uh, came along Corona and COVID-19, and boof. We lost 30, 32% from peak to trough in a hurry, folks. However, we, have, we are now net positive 1%. As of June 30th on the S&P. So all the losses that we suffered during the March, April, May period, we have made up in a hurry. This is unbelievable. Um, all the losses and we're up 1%. So right now we're starting the second half of the year, July 1st, with a positive 1% on the general market. And that's a, that's amazing that the list that we were here right now. I never thought we would recoup so fast. And to tell you folks, I've been through four major crises. Uh, 0809 was the reason that that I'm, I'm visually impaired now because of stress. But experience is what you want. I have experienced four major crises. I know what to do, or more importantly, know what not to do. And again, professional investment is having a professional or, or thinking with your your logic head, with your mind, than your heart. One tough thing with investing that I've noticed over my three decades is humans are counterintuitive. When the market is low, when things are cheap, your emotions say, ah, this is a, this is a bad time. I don't like it. I'm going to lose my money. And when things are going high, when Apple, Amazon, Walmart, all hitting new highs, your heart wants to say, oh, my God, it's all good. It's going up. I want to buy it. I want to buy it now. But we all know, folks, our minds, logic, you buy low, sell high. You don't sell high and buy low. But a lot of people, unfortunately, relent to their emotions relate to their hearts and they don't use their brains and say buy low, sell high. If things go down, well, they're going to happen. You hold on to them or you even buy more. Because if you believe the company at $50 a share, you should believe it at 40 Now, again, this is all prelude that the analysts and the reports that you research on or I research on uh, favor reason. For example, who would think that Zoom was going to become so popular this year, right? Zoom, I- Zoom, Zoom, to be honest. Zoom went up 600%, in, I think, in less than two months. Incredible. We're all using Zoom now. And I don't think Zoom's going to go away. I think post, uh, post-virus, post we're going to be using Zoom. I mean, I love using Zoom. I don't have to 
travel, don't have to do anything. I'm right here in my home office and I work. So, good, yes. Um, who would have thought that, um, well, I mean, things happen. I mean, I was in New York on 9-11 about one, that those planes knocked the towers down and the market went down. If I remember correctly, we were closed that week. We reopened and a week later, we were down 25, 30%. But within several months later, we were right back up. The master of buying low, selling high, ladies and gentlemen, is a gentleman from Omaha, Nebraska, by the name of Mr. Warren Buffett. He is the guru. He he has no problem. When people are running away, he's running in. And he always, he mostly wins, mostly wins. Uh, so buy low, sell high, of course. Stocks and bonds, ownership is stocks, and IOU is bonds. Uh, moving on. After you have a, a significant cash reserve, um, then you have some funds. Now you're looking at individual securities, individual stocks. Welcome to the big leagues. So in this world, you have to be diversification is key. There's over 25 or 27 different sectors of the S&P 500, the Standard & Poor's 500, which the name says 500. It's 500 of the biggest um, stocks that we have measured by market cap or market capitalization. Market cap is defined as the number of outstanding shares times the current market price. So right now, I believe Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, or, or, or I think I'm going to top three or four in the S&P 500 for, for market cap. The S&P 500, ladies and gentlemen, is a weighted index, which means the, the companies with more market cap have more percentage of influence on the index. So if Apple, Amazon, Walmart, ExxonMobil, they go up a lot in one day, the index will go up a lot of the day. Likely they go down, it goes down. Where stocks like Krispy Kreme Donuts, for example, a, a mid-cap, small mid-cap stock, if they go up and down, it doesn't affect the S&P 500 as much as an Amazon does. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, as the word says, average is an average. Every stock has equal rating of the Dow Jones. And the stocks are in the Dow Jones are put there by the company Dow and Jones, which makes the Wall Street, they produce a Wall Street Journal. And they basically are mimicking the GDP or the gross domestic product, basically our economy. So if our economy is 20% technology, 20% of the Dow Jones Industrials will be technology stocks, like Verizon is one of their babies right now. If it's 10% consumer non-durables or consumer durables, then they'll be reflected in the Dow Jones. And that's how those things try to help guide us in terms of what kind of day, week, month, or year we're having with our investments. I should make note, and I, I, I jump this, before you do anything, though, please listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, you need to have two short-term cash reserves. One's called a, 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 a emergency fund, and one's called a liquidity fund. And the liquidity fund, as the emergency fund, they're both defined as follows. You should have at least three to six months of living expenses saved somewhere that you can get your, your liquid, like in the bank or a CD, short-term, or, or a money market. Because if something, God forbid, happens, let's say you own a house and the roof comes down, you have a hurricane, like we have here in Miami sometimes, and you need access to cash, you need to have a reserve. You shouldn't be selling stocks, which are volatile, they go up and down, when you need money. That, that means you're poorly planned by someone or yourself, and you invested too much. You need to have three to six months in emergency and liquid reserves. If you are married uh, and you and your partner are both working, then you can probably have more three months because you 
the the likelihood or the probability of both people being fired at the same time or terminating their jobs for any reason is less than having just one provider in the household, then you should have closer to six months. If you have children, then probably a little bit more, okay, because they are expensive. They're beautiful and lovely, but I know it's a fact. I'm a father of two. I am divorced. <laughs> it does cost money. So let's go back to the pyramid. Okay, so we went over very quickly, very briefly, uh, stocks. One big fan I am of stocks is high dividend yielding stocks. High dividend yielding stocks pay very nice dividend yields. Where your local bank will pay you 0.3%. There are companies out there right now, Verizon, VZ, Johnson Johnson, J&J, Procter & Gamble, big, big dividend payer, PG. These companies, also utility companies, uh, Florida Power & Light down here in Southern Florida, FPL, one of the best utility companies in the country. I bought this stock before I moved to Miami. These companies can pay anywhere from 3 to 5%, and that's good yield. Like you reinvest during your accumulation phase or your pre-retirement phase. You keep reinvesting your dividends. You keep buying more shares free of charge. And then when you retire, you flip the switch, and the dividend payments come to you in form of cash. A great source or a, one of the great sources of, of financing your retirement. I should make mention diversification, 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 the three best rules in investing. I never want my clients to have just one source of retirement income. I don't want to rely on Social Security Administration. By the way, I forgot the year. I think it's 2025 or 2032, excuse me. I believe I read 2032 is when the Social Security Administration basically goes bankrupt or whatever terminology you want to use. So yes, it's a, it's a, a benefit that we pay into it, but you should also have a pension. You should have households have dividend-paying stocks, bonds. And then my, my my favorite right now are variable annuities with lifetime income benefits. Folks, I'm going to take a quick drink of water, excuse me, for two seconds. Okay, so while Emilio Refishes is uh, throat, um, I just want to remind you, um, he mentioned it at the beginning of the presentation that his email address is Emilio, as his first name, E-M-I-L-I-O, V as in Victor, as in Victor, dot R as in Romeo, F as in Frank, C as in Charles or Cat at gmail.com. He also um, wants to to let you know that um, he has a devoted line for ACB members. His uh, phone number is going to be area code 918, and the phone number is 919-7907. So area code 918-919-7907. So if you need to to get in touch with him, he's here back with us. Thank you, uh, Oseas. Thank you for that. Um, Also, uh, fellow ACBers, ACB Nation, ACB community, I do charge for my time. It's a moderate charge, but I am also waiving. I'm giving everyone on this broadcast a one free hour of coaching, and we can accomplish a lot in that one hour. I've been doing this a long time. So if you email me at Emilio V, E M I L I O V, dot RFC at gmail.com, or call me on that number that I'll say just give us twice. I will gladly talk to you for at least an hour or something, no charge. And then after that hour or so, you'll 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 talk to, to yourself or your your significant other, and determine whether my services are warranted. I can 
I, I don't use a G word. It means a guarantee. It's the worst word we could use as investment advisors or coaches. But um, I know that I, I, I've organized people from like having relatively no money. I don't care to, to my biggest account was $80 million once. So I can do anything. And I'm here to help you. I'm here to help anyone that needs my help, especially my new community, my new visually impaired community that I, I so am grateful to meeting the ACB uh, local chapter to meeting Gabriel in the pride chapter. Um, I'm just want to help. I really do. And hope, please, I hope you use me. I will say one thing. So for some reason, procrastination, people procrastinate all the time. I'm going to do my finances next year, next month, um, whatever. So at the beginning of the year, I know I've watched many times. I'm a, I'm overweight. I need to lose weight. I always promise I'm going to lose weight. So I, look, I listen to Dr. Phil and I follow his weight loss program. You should also have a financial diet program. Some people need to go on diets. means spend less, but you need to have a plan. You need to have a plan. You need to have a plan. Um, I am a financial coach right now. What does that mean? Where I was a licensed financial advisor for two major firms, the last one being Merrill Lynch, the longest I, I stayed with, uh, 27 years. I am a coach, which means I am independent. I do not belong to any firm. I belong to you, my clients. I represent you. So I'll give you I'll give an analogy. I know we don't drive because we don't see well, but this is an analogy I used to use before. I had a car before I had my vision before, and uh, so I lost it four years ago. And I would go to a mechanic, and the mechanic would go, you need blah, blah, blah. You're, you're something fixed. It will cost you $3,000. I had no idea what he or she was saying, so I went along with it. Now, imagine that experience. Let's say it's you going to the mechanic. mechanic says $3,000, and you bring me along with you. And I've been a mechanic, in my analogy, 27 years. And I tell the mechanic, you're wrong. He only needs this. She only needs that. And it should cost it $1,500. The value I bring to the table is to help you get organized, have your budget, your cash flow, your balance sheet, your investment pyramid. And then if you if we need to invest money, I will be on the phone call with you. If you're not local, I will go with you local, but I'm most likely on the phone call. When you meet your investment advisor, I have some people I can, I can recommend, but if you have one local in your local community, I'll happy to join you by speakerphone and listen to the advisor and be an ally for you. And sort of a bridge. I can say myself a bridge between you, the client, and the advisor. So it's something new that is developing in my industry. I'm all over it because I love being a coach much more than an advisor. And again, I get paid a, a set wage per hour. So I am unbiased to what you buy or don't buy. I am not, I'll tell you right now, folks, I was there, big, big firms. There was definitely some biases on products because of the rate of compensation to the advisor. And it's not fair, but Welcome to uh, investment world. Now, my last topic, I believe. Uh, how's my time, Mar uh, Maria? Uh, so you are now at four forty-four. So I think you'll be good with your last topic. Did I say four three forty-five? Yes, but then you said let you go on for ten more minutes. So let's yes. go for ten more. So let's do that. Okay, let's do that. Okay, I love the energy there, Maria. Thank you. <laughs> okay, retirement planning, folks. We all want to retire. I want to retire. You know. I, I love my job. I really do. Steven Spielberg once was quoted, the, the movie director, that he, they asked Mr. Spielberg, you, you, you're, you're so rich. You have so many big hits, so many movies. Why do you keep working? Great thing, he said, because I don't consider making movies work. I enjoy it. I don't care about the money. He was doing what he wanted. He didn't care if he made $10 million for IET2 or whatever. He just loved his, his job. And I love my job. I love helping people. I really do. 
Okay, retirement planning. So let's start with Social Security, the, the federal government program. So the problem with Social Security right now is we have many more people collecting Social Security that are supporting it. And that's not good economics. So that's why they're sort of running out of money. Again, God knows what happens after the three trillion. How much, how much money we've um, has infused into the economy? The Federal Reserve rate lowering everything. There's, there's talk about lowering taxes. We'll see who wins the White House in November. But you know the different. You know the Democrats and Republicans obviously have different uh, uh, school of thoughts. But Social Security, uh, for the most part, should provide you. I'm going to get. I'm going to use a number, but I'm just guessing. Let's say a couple. Let's say two thousand dollars a year. Let's just use that for my example. Now you could start collecting Social Security age of sixty-two, but it's at a reduced benefit. Depending on your birth year, my year was nineteen sixty-seven. At sixty-seven, I believe it is, I get one hundred percent of my benefit. I'm right at the cusp where it was sixty-five. So one of the things that the administration is doing is they're kind of postponing when you you collect one hundred percent. So the one thing we want to do when we talk about retirement planning is figure out what are you going to get and when. Maybe it behooves you to get it sooner. And that's a question of life longevity. I mean, no one can produce long. No one knows about longevity, but we have to assume a certain life and certain death. It's death is, uh, you know, we're mortal people. And we need to plan for, I say, hopefully 30 years. I, I usually plan for 30 years of retirement. If you live longer, great. Uh, but at least it's 30 years, and it's most adequate for most Americans. Um, especially with medicine today, we are living longer, and, but we'll continue. Then you have pension. You have a pension. If you work for a big corporation, part of your package, your compensation is hopefully some kind of pension plan. They're more rare these days than before because they've turned to 401ks or 403bs. So for, these numbers come from the IRS code. A 401k is for a profit or corporation. A 43B is using municipalities, teachers, hospitals. They're the same thing, but different codes. There's where you also put money away. The benefit about these retirement plans is the companies, a good a good employer will match you between 3 to 6%. So if they match you 6%, you should at least put in 6% because you get 6% free. So that means you get a return 100% without any risk. If it's 3, you at least put in 3. Of course, as you get older, uh, you have to start investing more or adding more. At 55, if you're age 55 or higher, there's a catch-up phrase or clause, which also applies to IRAs and Roth IRAs, that you can add more money to these plans because they want to do catch-up. So that's a great source of, of, of accumulation of wealth. And then you roll over the 401k into some kind of income-producing investments to help you support your retirement. The best thing about this is it's out of your tax, it's out of your payroll, it's for savings. I love the words for savings. And it's all tax deferred until you take it out. So you pay no taxes on these investments unless you elect to do post-tax. So if you have a goal and you might need it before you retire, like buying a home, you might want to do a certain percentage post-tax, but I like pre-tax a lot better. It's better to compound and tax deferred than, than, than taxable. Next comes, again, high dividend yielding stocks, bonds, bond funds, anything that throws off any kind of uh, income. Um, real estate, obviously, uh, great investment for income, rental properties, uh, rental income, that's fantastic, and that's very good to also have handy. But my favorite, favorite, favorite are, it's a bad word, and it has a negative connotation and denotation, annuities. Now, there's three kinds of annuities. There are immediate, immediate annuities, there are fixed income annuities, and then there's variable annuities. An immediate annuity is very simple, and this is done when you don't have many 
much money to work with. And immediate annuities, you give, for example, $10,000 to an insurance company, and they predict you're going to live to a certain age. These predictions come from their, they, they, they believe in the law of large numbers. So they study a, a lot of people. They can become more accurate in their predictions. And they use actuaries, people who are way intelligent in mathematics, way smarter than me, that can predict these things. You turn over $10,000 to the insurance company. That $10,000 belongs to them. You cannot get it back. Once you sign that contract, it is theirs. What you get back in return is what they promise to pay you for the rest of your life. Let's just say it's $200 or $250. As long as you're living, you can you get that $250. Even if you go above the $10,000, you live to be age 100, you, you, still get, you still get paid. The negative is if, God forbid, you die a month later, they keep the $10,000. There are other ways, uh, don't much more, more time, but there are other in, op, other out income uh, programs that you can guarantee a 10-year certain. You do joint with your spouse, joint with a child. But if you do something like that, especially with a child who is younger, your payments per month are a little lower. That's immediate annuities usually used at a last resort. The next is fixed annuities. A fixed annuity, if I may say so, uh, is basically an insurance. It's a way of buying a CD, a, a certified deposit at a bank which is FDIC insured through an insurance company. A fixed annuity is not FDIC insured, but it's insured by the insurance company and also backed by the, the state that you're doing business in. So if you, I'm in the state of Florida, Florida guarantees me $100,000 for my fixed annuities. If God forbid my insurance company goes bankrupt. A fixed annuity is just like you buy them for like one year to 10 years, whatever. The longer you buy them, you get a little bit more uh, interest. But remember right now, folks, we are at a very low interest environment. The yield curve, that's the difference between the one-month or three-month T-bill to the 30-year bond is extremely flat. That means there's really little change between three months of yield to 30 years. That's because of what's going on with their economy and this disease, this pandemic. But fixed annuities are great because it's tax-deferred. If you don't need the money now, you buy the annuity, you keep the interest in the annuity compounding, and you pay no taxes. You will pay taxes when you take the money out. And just to let you know, the IRS uses a, a um, they, they charge you taxes. It's interest first. So whatever comes out first, um, it's kind of like a FIFO, I believe. They tax you on that. Those are, those are the two basic annuities. Now, my favorite, the variable annuity. This is a way how the insurance companies long, long time ago got into the investment world. They said, why should investment firms and banks have all the fun, quote unquote. So they developed a product that is, that is a, an insurance product that you can invest into sub-accounts, that's what they're called, but they're basically mutual funds. So take some big mutual funds, Fidelity Magellan, Investment uh, uh, Company of America, Growth Fund of America. These are all different iconic funds. BlackRock has some great funds. Well, I can talk about mutual funds all day long. I'm going to stop. So when you buy a variable annuity, you put the money in the mutual, into the sub accounts. You can choose, again, diversification. That's when you might need an advisor. And there you're going to get, you're going to get returns of the, the, the market, but it's all tax deferred. You pay no taxes, you take it out. Now, about 10 to 15 years ago, they got, got, got more creative, these insurance companies. They're now selling, this is my number one favorite product right now, and it's saving my clients a lot because this is how it works. It is called a variable annuity with a lifetime income rider. What this means, this is, this is I'm not kidding, folks, it's going to sound too good to be true, but it's, it exists. Let's say you put in $10,000 today, tw- this year, 2020. And we're in the accumulation phase. You're going to retire, let's say, in 2030. So in 2030, you're going to take the money out. During the growth phase or the accumulation phase, you get 
either a guaranteed, I'm, I'm allowed to say honestly and, and morality, you get a guarantee of 6%, worst case scenario, all the returns of the subaccounts. If the subaccounts on the market return 10, you get 10. If the market return 5, you get 6. If the market return negative 10, you get 6. The worst case scenario, and this is in the contract, is a 6% annual return or what the subaccounts or the market did better. Whichever is better is great. So for example, my clients were calling me in April and May saying, thank you, Emilio, thank you, Emilio. Then the market was going you know, on a free fall, but they knew they were going to get 6%. Worst case scenario. Who would take 6% right now? I know I would. And again, in the good years, you get more. Bad years, you get 6 Emilio, so, so this sounds really amazing. Like you say, too good to be true. Is there any catch? The, yes, there is a catch, but let me just finish on the second part, the, okay. the distribution phase. Good question. So before I get to your question, so during the completion phase, it's 6% on the market, whichever is higher. Then you, you turn 10 years later, you turn 65, let's say, you pull the money out. So you're going to pull a 5% income stream per year on that amount of money that you accumulated throughout the 10 years, you know, 6% of the market, and you get 5% for the rest of your life. So let's say that $10,000 became 100, 5% of 100 is $5,000, and now you're going to get that 5000 for the rest of your life. If you live more than 20 years, 20 times 5 is 100000 you still get the 5000 You cannot outlive this, and you cannot outlive the income. If you live to be 110, 100, whatever, you're still going to get 5000 or 5% in my example. If you were to die before then, your beneficiaries would get the money. Now, to ask, uh, to answer, Osseus, yes, Osseus, it sounds too good to be true. I agree with you. There are this one big catch, well, a couple, couple catches. Number one, it's a seven-year commitment. So it's a long-term commitment. If you pull the money out before 7%, there are pretty significant penalties. So this money has to have a home there for 7% for seven years to avoid a, a fee. And the fees usually are 7% in year one, decreasing by 1% every year. So seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. That's number one. Number two, because it is a retirement product, you will get penalized by the IRS if you withdraw anything before 59 and a half. Same thing with IRAs. Um, you have to withdraw 59 and a half, not to, not to avoid a penalty. And before I finish it up, folks, I got to get one thing out. How, I, how a lot of people manage our money. I'm going to say diversification is key. The biggest, there was a Nobel winner, Dr. Markowitz, that developed something called the modern portfolio theory. And this economic or finance person studied the effects of, of different asset classes. An asset class is a group of companies. So, for example, utilities is an asset class. Large cap growth companies like Home Depot is an asset class. Verizon um, Communication, large cap value is an asset class. And there is something called the quilt, Q-U-I-L-T, the investment quilt that shows for every year, past the past years, what asset class did the best. And what you'll notice is every year it's mixed. It's all mixed. But the one in the middle is an asset class blend. So that's a blend of all the other asset classes, and they always stay in the middle. So it doesn't go down too much. It doesn't go up too much. And that's the best way to accumulate wealth for the future. Folks, I wish I had more time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign off and start taking some Q&A now. Again, my name is Emilio Valdez. I have over 27 years of experience, and I want to help you. Please engage me. I guarantee you the first hour, which is on me, you say you're an AC beer. And I'll, I'll organize you. Just at least take me up to the one hour and then you'll t- take it from there. Okay, so uh, Maria. All right. Thank you, Emilio. So we're going to start our raised hands here with Satana. Yes. All right. So, um, Emilio, I don't know if you 
do something like this? A lot of what we've heard you talk about is retirement planning and budgeting and sort of all those basic portfolio type things that we hear about. Um, I'm curious to know a couple of things. I, I think that you still have partial sight. I, I could be yes. wrong about that, but okay. So for me, I've been totally blind since birth. And I find that when I get into investing and learning about it, there's so much graphical visual data and charts and the seven-day moving average is a blue line <laughs> and the you know, uh, tan line is... You're the, totally correct. You know, and And I feel like it's like... I want this information and I'm fascinated by it and I want to learn so much more about it. And I think sighted people have this great opportunity to, to do what you're talking about with all this retirement stuff that, of course, I can do too. But to just play, to just take a little bit of, you know, play money that you've got, nothing that you're going to obviously need for your retirement or whatever, but to just play with it, you know, go on E-Trade or whatever, go on bigcharts.com and, and do stuff. Do you teach options? Do you teach what all this means? And do you have any tools that are accessible for totally blind people to, to get this information in a way that isn't so visual? Or am I just dreaming here? In, uh, I'm sorry, your, your, name, your, your name again, please? I'm Satana. Think Madonna Satana. at times. Great question. Uh, great question. I've been visually impaired since 2016. So I'm kind of recently to this visual impaired world. I am low vision. Now you're, I know you told me you're blind. I have a device. I have two devices, something, one thing called, uh, sold to me by eSight and I have Patriot viewpoint, which allows me to see charts and graphs. Now, unfortunately it's not going to work for you. I, to be honest, your question is, I don't, I don't have anything. Sorry. I had no magic in terms of, there are a lot of graphs. Yes. Technical analysis, option risk premiums are all usually demonstrated in either some kind of graph, a line graph, a pie charts, candlestick um, charting, um, which is very popular. I, I, you know what, if you, if you can text, email me, me, if you email me or contact me and we'll repeat my, my email at the end here, I promise I will at least dedicate some of my time to find something for you. I have a lot of con contacts up in New York, here in Miami and also around the country if I find anything, please contact me so I have it. Give me some time, and if I find anything, you are my promise. I will send it to you, and I'll be also be helping other people in our community. So, great question. Don't have a great answer for you now. Please contact me, and I'll get back to you. It's my All right, I'm awesome, Emilio. Thanks for your presentation. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, thank you, Satana. Next, we have Rita. Hello, everyone. Uh, wonderful presentation, Emilio. This thank is you. So so, so needed in the blind community. Uh, there's so many blind people that do not handle their own money. You know, they, they don't do their own checking. They don't, they just don't because it's been such a visual environment. Yep. Um, I found that Chase, I've, um, Chase has participated in the American Council of the Blind, you know, conferences. They have. And I've found their app and their investment you know, stuff to be accessible. And so I've been really happy with Chase, very happy with them. Um, and here's my question is, I'm, I'm retired and I uh, consulted an independent financial advisor a couple, couple years ago. And uh, we were talking about a plan for me. We developed a plan and we were looking at the possibility of long-term care insurance. I'm, uh, you know, don't have any children. And, and so I'm looking for what's down the road. And he did some investigation with insurance companies. And apparently I am not, as a blind person, I'm not eligible for long-term care insurance because I'm blind. 
because wow. when, and I was wondering if you have ever heard this, when people are institutionalized, you know, going to nursing homes, yeah. um, do something called a DON, a determination of need, which is you get points for food, you know, bathing, grooming, etc. And if you are determined disabled from an insurance company before you apply for long-term care insurance, they won't oh. give it to you. Oh. Um, they won't give it. They won't let you buy long-term care insurance um, because you're, you've got this, you know, you're already disabled. And so my plan for, you know, long-term care is just, you know, to burn through what I have and then go on public aid. But I, I was wondering if you have uh, suggestions and I will email you separately also, but um, just this, has this come up gotcha. in your counseling before? I'll be very honest. Uh, no, not yet. I think it's totally unfair. I am a little angered at the system. Please email me. Now I have, I work very closely with an insurance, uh, an insur- I'm more invested. Okay? I know insurance, but not to the level he does. And he actually specializes in long-term care. So long-term care, on average, in an in a, in a, in a expensive city like Miami, New York, Boston, whatever, Chicago, is roughly $200 a day. $200 a day, you're talking about burning through cash, you're going to burn through cash. Mm-hmm. Now, because the, what you talked about before are the ADL, the assisted daily living activities. Uh, there's five of them, and that's what you talk about, the point system. I will Please email me. I'm gonna, he's on vacation right now. He gets back on Monday. And I promise next week you're gonna if you email me or, or call me, I prefer email either myself or my partner. Or I'll be calling. I'll be on the phone for sure, and he'll probably be on the phone. He may ask you some questions. Thank you for letting me know that I am not going to be this. I, I'm, I'm not accepting this. This is wrong. Now this might be a political battle in D.C., uh, but <laughs> uh, I'm not. A, I, have, I have another friend who does that too. He's a he's a litigator. He's also blind. So maybe this goes to D.C., but. I'll, I have not known this, but please email me. I'll get back to you. I'll have my partner get back to you. He's one of the insurance whiz than I am. Thank you for your question. Okay. Thank you, Rita. Next, we have Terry. Hello, Terry. Fabulous presentation. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I will will definitely be in touch with you. Please. Um, What I'm curious about is a large number of, of people in our community who would be likely to have extra money saved and that type of thing are federal employees and we participate in the thrift savings plan. And I'm wondering what kind of advice you could give those of us who are in that situation. What's the name of, your, of the plan? Is, your, is, it, is it TIA craft? It's, it's the, the thrift savings plan. It's the ah, federal government. The thrift. Yes. Yes. The thrift. Yes. Okay. So that's a very good question. As far as I want to do a little research on this to get specific with you individually, but there's different pools and there's different uh, different interest rates. It's basically one huge big bond fund that the federal government manages, um, huge amounts of money, and depending on your years of service, your your year of birth depends on your thing. So if you could contact me, email me. I will do a little research on your specific pool or your friends, colleagues, and then I'll be happy to advise you there. But I need to know exactly what you have before I can give you any advice. I need to know my patient, my patient, before I can give some helpful advice. So please email me, tell me the, about the, the thrift plan, and I will get back to you. I promise. Right. Thank you, Terry. Next, we have Lisa. And Lisa, you should be able to unmute yourself. 
Hi, I just wanted to share a resource that some people may not know about. It's called um, Able Accounts, and um, most states have them. And if you don't have one in your state, you can get one from another state. Um, it's a resource where people who um, are on some sort of public benefits and need the ability. And as most of you know, if you are on public benefits, you can only save a certain amount. You know, it's usually with SSI, it's 2000 um, with Medicaid, it may be a different amount. What? 2040 this year. Oh, 2040. Well, that's good. Um, but anyway, ABLE accounts uh, give you the ability to save or for someone to save for you in a special 529C, like they're not taxed unless you use okay. for um, for um, expenses related to your disability. And these are pretty broad and you can tr contribute, like I, for the California one, you can contribute like $15,000 a year and the money that you contribute to those accounts, does it count against your um, public public yes. benefits as long as okay. you don't use it for expenses that are not related to your disability um so that might be a really good reason so someone could you can save money that you earn from working or like if you have an inheritance or if a family member wants to save for you that just might be something that people may want to look into if they're in that that particular circumstance okay thank they're called able accounts you said they're called ABLE accounts. A-B-L-E? Yes, I believe it's achieving um, better life um, uh, experience. Ex ex experience. Experience. Where are you? That's, you're, you're great. You're a rock star. Um, okay. So okay. just a very good resource for a lot yeah. of people on public benefits. Okay. I will, I'm definitely interested in learning more how I can help um, our community. So thank you. You said that you said it was five, two, nine, it was code five, two, nine C. I don't know much about them. I know I've heard they're kind of um, modeled on similar premise to like a five twenty nine A. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So the five, two, nine, as you know, the assets inside the five, two, nine do not count. Um, it's like um, a legally hidden asset. So it doesn't count against you as, as she said. And the, the interest or gains come out tax-free if it's used for college planning in the 529 college planning world. But I have to look into this to see what the are the allowed expenditures. That's probably the, the key there. But yeah. very interesting. Thank you, I call her, for that question. And I'm going to be doing some homework uh, probably tonight on these able plans. All Are right. Next? Very good. Next, we have Cheryl. Yes. Um, back to the long-term care, the long-term insurance. She's yes. right. I was born with cerebral palsy and I work for Chris Cole. I know when they passed the uh, the health insurance law, yes, we're, we're protected under regular medical care, but we're not protected under medical care. They could still, I mean, long-term care. You're, you, 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 I, I, you know, I believe we're still discriminated in that area. Uh, I agree, I agree, ma'am. I just found out this today from the other caller. I'm appalled, but I'm I'm going to get myself and my partner on it right away. Yeah, and I'm surprised. Other, I know other groups, other disabled groups have been looking at this stuff, but I don't know if it's got to you know if they got very far on the issue or not, especially in this curtain environment. 
Okay, thank you, Cheryl, for your comments. I think we're going to shift because we have discussed this topic previously. So we're going to shift to try and squeeze in as many questions as we can here. Uh, we have Pam next. Great presentation. Um, thank you. I've been, like, I got my coronavirus money like most of us got. And I've been spending some of it to live on, but I still have some of it left over. You think I should put that towards my credit card bills? Or bill? What, card what, is, what is the interest rate the credit cards are charging what? those cards? Uh, I'd, I'd have to look it up. But I would say if it's more than 5 or 7%, just pay off the credit cards. Okay. That's, sure. probably, that, that's what I was thinking. But, so anything, remember, if you pay off a, a 10% credit card, it's like you're guaranteed a 10% return on your money because you're saving 10% of what you owe them. So it's a guaranteed mm-hmm. return right there. Pay off the credit cards. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Pam. Next, we have Ted. Hi, Emilio. Um, Hello, sir. I've been getting familiar with doing stock trading, and I feel pretty comfortable with it now. And But somebody okay. mentioned options trading, and that's what I've been looking at next. Okay. Is that something that you think that somebody could reasonably get into? <laughs> you recommend? Tra- okay, great question. I'm a second-generation advisor. My father, uh, Emilio Sr., worked for uh, Ms. Merrill Lynch for 35 years. When I worked with him at the beginning of my career, we were doing a lot of hedging using index options. So the OEX is the S&P 100, more volatile than the SPX, the S&P 500. But we were using them as a hedge. So we were long, let's say, uh, $100,000. We, you could either, depending on your, your bullish or bearish, you know, you could buy it uh, using 10 to 15 percent of that hundred to buy a put. If you think that to hedge the portfolio because you're essentially long a hundred thousand of stocks, but you want to protect yourself on the downside, so it's called a marry put. Now that's hedging. That's one type of strategy. If you're looking for options for speculation, the problem with options versus owning common stock is you got to be right in the directions going to go, and more importantly, within a time frame. Because stocks have two different values: intrinsic value. And time value. So you buy an option that's, let's say, a year from now, that's going to be much more expensive than a buying an option a month from now because the one-month option is going to expire worthless on the third Friday of August, in, in our example, where the one-year will expire, say, worthless the third Friday of July 2021. Option trading, trading is, I consider it gambling. I don't really consider it investing. Can you make money? Of course you can. But I will tell you one thing. There's a fact. 65% of options purchased expire worthless. That means no one made any money on it. They lost their premium. So my, my advice to you, Ted, is if you're going to do option training, I would probably go to school or some kind of course to at least get the fundamentals of the technical analysis because options are all tech. And I would just say that options, the only options I like also besides the, the hedging would be covered calls. Which means if you let's say you're long a hundred shares of Disney, you buy a, a call on you you sell a call against your stock. You when you sell something, you bring in a premium, and you sell the call. Let's say the stock's at seventy five. You sell the one hundred call. That means when you sell the call, you get the money. If the stock hits a hundred, you can get called away, but you also make twenty five dollars on the on the on the stock, and you collected the premium. So that's a way of enhancing your portfolio, the income by selling calls. That's what I would do. That's conservative. Anything else, go to school or contact me. I'll give you some direction. I am not a major fan or an expert in option trading. So thank you. 
All right. Emilio, well, on that so note, Emilio. Oh, yeah, Maria, I was going to yes. ask you if we could do this. I am. Yes, on that today. note, we do Thank have you. to end here. Um, we, I'm going to now give out the ending CEU code, and then I'll turn it to Gabe for final closing comments. Again, this is the ending CEU code. I will repeat this twice, and this is for those who've paid for continuing ed. Uh, the continuing code is the number eight the letter F as in Foxtrot, and the numbers are 303. Again, the num- it's the number 8, the letter F as in Foxtrot, the number is 303. Back to you, Gabe. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you, Emilio and Oseas. Wonderful presentation. Thank uh, you. We learned so much, and we, I'm sure many of us will be contacting you starting tomorrow, Emilio. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, Perfect. everyone put me, put me in work. ACB. Thank you. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Thank you for collaborating with PPI and the presentation, Emilio and Oseas. Thank you for the opportunity. Very good friends from Miami. And uh, join us tonight. Join BPI tonight for some wine wisdom, everyone out there. And uh, hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be talking soon.